think this is really important kind of just for all female listeners of, for me, I feel like I never really realized how much control I actually had in a relationship. And I think this speaks to kind of just women empowerment of being able to use your voice and like, you don't have to be in the relationship if you don't want to be. I think Mm -hmm. I was so in love with the idea of the idea of a relationship that I put up with a lot of stuff, but it's like, now I'm like, well, like I go on dates with people now and I'm like, okay, well, nah, I'm good. (laughs) Like not interested in this. Whereas it's kind of made me feel a little bit more powerful of like, oh, wow, I can actually like take the dating scene by the reins and like have a say in it. Um, Hey there, you're listening to Virago Pod, a podcast that is dedicated to empowering and improving the physical and mental health of female athletes everywhere. This podcast is brought to you by The Virago Project, a nonprofit organization that helps female athletes balance sports with life. I'm your host, Emily McGee Zizlowski. And I'm your co-host, Taylor Tracy. Let's jump right into the episode. Hi, Virago Warriors, and welcome back to episode 13 of Virago Pod. Today's episode is all on dating and relationships. Now, we did talk about it through an athlete lens at the beginning and end, but the meat of the podcast is perfect for any non-athletes also, um, whether you are single, whether you are taken, whether you are on the dating scene or are in a period of swearing off dating. This episode has so many great tips and takeaways from our guest, Blair Paleo. I know Blair um, from college and she is got her master's and now is getting her PhD in counseling psychology. And she is just so knowledgeable on the topics of relationships and dating. Um, the amount of detail she goes into and the takeaway she has is a must-listen episode. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Okay. Uh, Welcome, Virago listeners. And joining us, we have on the line Blair Paleo. She'll be introducing herself here in just a minute. Uh, But we got uh, Emily Taylor and Blair today. Blair, hello. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, thank you. So just to start to introduce our listeners, can you tell me about your athletic background in college and what you've been studying and up to since then? Yeah, yeah. So I went to UNC Chapel Hill with both of y'all. And I was a rower on the crew team at Carolina. And then afterwards, you know, I dabbled a lot in academics and now um, went to UNC, went to Duke kind of work wise when it came to research. And now I am at Arizona State University. I just got my master's last May, I guess. Oh my gosh, it's almost been a year in counseling psychology. And now I'm working on getting my PhD in counseling psychology. Congrats. (laughs) Congrats. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's impressive. And that's why we asked you to be on today's episode. Taylor and I have been wanting to have a relationship episode because it's just something that we found really difficult for us dating as athletes, all the struggles that go along with it. So having someone who's both been in that shoes, um, being a college athlete and someone who's been studying it um, since then, we were really excited to have you on Blair. So thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks. Me too. (laughs) So I guess first off, let's start with um, what are some issues that you struggled with when trying to date as an athlete um, personally at UNC? Yeah. Oh goodness. Where do I even begin? Um, (laughs) 
I think the big thing for me, honestly, was trying to balance everything. When I first came to Carolina, um, you know, college is such a transition for everyone, um, athletes or non. And, you know, I was trying to find my place. So I was on the crew team, but I was also in a sorority and I, you know, came in with a huge academic background focus. So I felt like for me, it was just difficult, you know, splitting my time those three ways and then also trying to adjust to college, which is a whole kind of, you know, plethora of <laughs> concerns and issues and topics in and of itself. Yeah, I mean, it, the time commitment, I, I think a lot of people just only have the college athlete experience of seeing these college athletes show up on football Saturdays, but they don't realize how much time it really takes. Mm -hmm. um, and I know for me personally, because of the time commitments and the social life constraints, I ended up really only dating other athletes because I felt, and for my dating, like when I would try not to, they'd be like, well, why are you so busy? Why do you have to do this optional thing? Oh, you're traveling. What do you mean you can't go out tonight? Like, can't you just come out and not drink? Um, mm -hmm. It wasn't really an environment that unless like I was dating an athlete that they'd really understand. Did you find that experience for you oh, at all? totally. I think that was a kind of twofold. That was a big kind of problem with being in a sorority of just like having cocktails and happy hours or whatever it might've been, I couldn't really go to that during the week. So like, I remember a lot in my sorority was, it was like Tuesday, Thursday nights were really big, but Wednesday morning I had 6am practice and it was like a 2k erg test. So I couldn't ever really go to the Tuesday night cocktails because I'm like, well, I have to be up at 5am to, you know, do a time test and I can't really, you know, be hanging out all hours of the night. So that totally affected kind of my social life and kind of feeling included in a lot of ways. So then I ended up dating a lot of athletes like you because, you know, we had like mandatory, I guess sort of mandatory, <laughs> um, like academic study hall. And that ended up pretty much kind of just being like a social hour for athletes. <laughs> um, so that was kind of like the equivalent, at least for me on like being on the dating scene or being in the frat life or, out on, you know, Franklin Street, because we don't really, or at least I didn't really have the opportunity to do that. Yeah. What, what about you, Taylor? What, what were some of those things you struggled with trying to date in college or now? Yeah. I mean, so I didn't date too much in college. I was one of those people who like got into a, a relationship my freshman year. I think it was like the spring after I had arrived in the summer to like first ever step on campus. And that lasted until the end of my career. Um, and that was with an athlete. So I think in a lot of ways it was convenient and that we didn't have the disconnect between like campus life and athletic life. We kind of knew what the expectations were and that worked for us. Um, but I can totally, totally see how even like, I mean, it was difficult for me, even with friendships, you know, like I really had to put myself out there to make friends with non-athletic or sorry, non-athletes on campus because this, the schedules were just so different. Yeah, no. And, and to clarify, I said, and now Taylor is not dating now. Sorry. I, she is very happy in a relationship. So I'm not trying to subtweet Rob and, and get you in any trouble that <laughs> and throw you out for still dating. So that was. Oh, totally, totally fine. I didn't even think about it. Yet. I'm okay, happy okay. to talk about the relationship at college. That's why we're here. 
Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, I think there's lots of struggles that, and I, I'm glad, Taylor, you brought up the relationship and friend component, too, because as much as I try to be friends with, the, like, the girls and my sweet mates that were dorm, it was just, it's like you're almost just have such a different college experience. It's hard to really relate to people like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, Blair, on your, like, your expertise in what you've studied, I'm curious of differences, not, and, you know, we can remove the athlete lens from it for for this and just talk about humans in general what are some of the differences you see in healthy relationships and unhealthy relationships yeah no great question um whether athletes or not you know relationships can be pretty consistent a lot of my research has been on opposite sex couples so I know relationships can look many different ways but all my expertise I guess is very much on opposite sex couples that tend to be male, female. So um, these dynamics can look different um, in same sex couples, but I, you know, haven't done much research on that personally. I think the big thing to kind of be aware of is communication. So, and understanding what communication is. And I think a lot of people have an understanding quote unquote of what they might think communication is, but it's pretty detailed in the research. So effective communication is critical for building and maintaining healthy romantic relationships. So John Gottman, who's a bitty, excuse me, a big prolific researcher in the relationship realm, describes this as like a bid and response, just kind of what healthy communication looks like. So he calls it the bid is kind of like the initiation of an interaction. And that comes in a myriad of forms and it's filled with tons of information. It's usually often paired with a lot of layers of communication, as we all know from our personal experiences, but kind of like a bid could be nonverbal touch on the arm or slamming of the door or rolling of the eyes, a laugh, a sigh. You know, it can be a lot of nonverbal communication um, or it can be very directed of like, I need some coffee. I want to go out dancing. Very specific. And then the response to that is the second half, which is the other piece of the puzzle, um, is how that partner responds to that bid. And they can respond in relation generally, research-wise, in three different ways. So turning towards their partner, turning away from their partner, or turning against. So if we like turn towards, for example, that's like touching your partner's hand. Turning away is averting eye contact. Turning, turning against would be starting an argument, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. And, and so I guess in your experiences in relationships and, you know, you, you can stay as vague or as nitty gritty as you want. Um, <laughs> how have you found yourself in like the healthier, healthier relationships compared to unhealthy relationships you've been in? What do you think the main differences have been on that front? Like, can you give me some examples oh, yeah. of, of how you've seen that kind of breakdown in communication and those nonverbal verbal things? Yeah, for sure. You know, it's, every relationship of mine has been very, very different. And it's, you know, it's a beautiful thing when it comes to humans, because we're all unique and individual, but it gets very complicated when you're trying to make those two individuals united and on the same page. So when we think of kind of communication generally, for me, and kind of how it's described in the literature is it involves, or excuse me, it involves a lot of connecting pieces of like sharing information, supporting one another, comforting one another, conveying emotion, it's verbal and nonverbal, affecting some change, ideally positive in their environment, 
Um, with healthy couples or satisfied relationships that I've been in, I think I noticed a lot kind of engaged ourselves in a lot of these different communication exchanges. Whereas the ones that didn't work so well, I feel like we kind of got pin pigeonholed into one area and then a lot of negative dynamics arose with a, all the stress that happens in lives in general. So we would tend to get very verbal or aggressive or not convey emotion. Generally a big kind of stereotypical unhealthy relationship dynamic is called the demand withdrawal pattern. And it's usually one partner is demanding, some will say nagging, <laughs> um, yeah. wanting information. Um, and then the other person will withdraw because they're just overwhelmed. It's the argument is kind of escalated. They're not interested anymore. And that creates such a negative pattern that leads to such distress among both individuals. Yeah, it's kind of general. That doesn't speak super, you know. No, I, I, I know Blair. So I, I, as she says that, I'm thinking of the situations. But no, the, no, the, the, that's perfect. That's perfect. Also, I, so Blair, I love that you brought up John Gottman because this is funny and I have by no means like have ever studied psych psychology like in depth, but I actually have both of his books right in front of me. Well, two of his books. <laughs> there we go. The Relationship Cure and then The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work, which don't even ask me why I have that one. Because <laughs> <laughs> but I remember reading these my senior year of college right before I like left. Um, and I found the, um, I found the bidding and like the turning towards turning away and then like the unrequited or aggressive turning really, really, um, really helpful, not just for like my romantic relationships, but also for just like friends and like the way I interacted with my coaches and stuff like that too. So just wanted to encourage our listeners to check out those two books. Yeah, totally. I, I think he's, he's fantastic. He's amazing in the field was one of the like forefathers, you could say of relationships research. Um, and like all these communication skills you can use in other areas of your life, talking to family members, talking to mom and dad, talking to friends, you know, it's helpful. I think it's, it's complicated at the college age because so much of that is just a huge transition. You're trying to learn and kind of become more independent, learn about the world, learn about other people all at the same time. So when you think of relationships in college, to think, okay, well, let's have this perfect dynamic of how communication is supposed to look. But it's, if you think of both individuals outside of the relationship, it's like, oh, geez, you're trying to make yourself kind of <laughs> trying to understand and find your own identity and your own place in the world. Um, so it's kind of an easy mixture of potential kind of conflict. Yeah, I have another question, Blair, because you brought up a good point, like just being at the college age and maybe I know for me, at least like, and maybe you guys can relate to this, but not having the same like self-knowledge, emotional intelligence and self-awareness that I have now and how that played a huge force in the way that I was communicating with the people I was dating or my boyfriend at the time. So um, could you explain a little bit about like what role emotional intelligence plays in as you're like maybe when like a partner is bidding to, for your attention or bidding for that connection and you determining how you're going to respond? 
Yeah, no, it's great. I think there are definitely gender differences. And when we think of or traditional gender differences in that sense, um, in kind of ways men and women communicate and kind of those initial big differences are largely explained by societal gender norms or their traditional expectations. But when it comes to kind of emotional intelligence, I hate to say it, but like, I feel like I've learned a lot about a, a lot about myself in relationships by being in relationships and having them not work out because I, I feel like I learned what I liked, what I didn't like, about myself, about the person, about dating, but it's still hard because you're, you know, you get vulnerable, you're invested. Dating's a very, it's, it's very complicated, but it can be so rewarding too. So when I think generally of looking at kind of gender differences and understanding each other, women tend to be more verbally and emotionally expressive. Again, this is all like tendencies, you know, there's definitely a lot of variability among genders as well. But they tend to offer more eye contact and be very, you know, also demanding and argumentative, but they tend to tolerate a lot more conflict Mm -hmm. um, than men do and experience a wide range of emotions. Whereas men on the other end tend tend to be more neutral in their affects, tend to be a little maybe overstimulated by a lot of the eye contact, tend to engage in kind of more avoidant behaviors and more stubborn, more defensive, um, and maybe a, a lot of like psychological reactivity um, to distressing situations. So those are kind of gender differences. But when it comes to um, learning that and increasing your emotional intelligence, it's whew, like, yes, you can read about this. I think I talked about this with Emily beforehand of, you know, the love languages and the apology languages and you know, I hope we can give, you know, people listening to this some kind of tips and tricks, because that can help your emotional intelligence, no matter what your age is. Mm -hmm. I love the love languages. And I I think I actually introduced it to Blair, like, because like she (laughs) she was saying, you know, a story about like someone apologized. And it was, she's like, it was an apology, but like, it was, it didn't make me feel better. And if you're listening, and you have a love language, like that's kind of mainstream. But apology language is something that um, by the same author, I'm pretty sure that it Mm -hmm. tells you how you can apologize. And it was so funny, because I remember taking the quiz. And it gives you four examples of it gives you a situation. So let's say, your husband forgot or your boyfriend forgot your birthday dinner or like he didn't invite anyone to your birthday dinner and like just forgot to do it even though he said he was going to do it before there's like four different options and I should have looked it up um but there are examples like one's just taking responsibility one is making sure it doesn't happen again one is literally making sure they say I'm sorry and like how they feel bad um and I don't remember what the fourth one is but like it was crazy because I was like, well, of course, for me, exclusively, I only want to know how it's not going to happen again and move forward. But then like Josh, my my husband, his was something like completely different. And it's so weird that similar to love languages, when you only act and react in ways that you want to be treated, there's a pretty good chance. And it's like, just seems so logical, but like, there's a pretty good chance then you're leaving your partner out to dry and like not valuing that just as important as that is to me. Like I'm not doing things Mm -hmm. the way that you need. Like, yeah. Yeah. I think that's the important piece of communicating that with your partner because of each, in each relationship, everyone's different. Mm -hmm. So it's knowing kind of what your partner needs and what you need. And I think that's so, so important. And I think you learn that in college 
through maybe some, you know, kissing some frogs along the way, but, um, or toes, whatever the saying is. <laughs> <Or> um, <laughs> um, but it's, it's, it's really interesting. Cause I think when we think of the five love languages and then the five apology languages, I think a lot of people have the notion, okay, well, if my love language is words of affirmation, well, that's all I need. I need you to just say that, but that's not what the Gary Chapman, who's the author of both of them. That's not what he says, like everyone needs all five of them, but it's, mm-hmm. it's some, are, or you need more of a degree of. So I think the other, the one you were talking about when it comes to apology languages, Emily was the making restitution of, yes. of what I can do to make it right. I'm totally the same way, but at the same time, I still want to hear my partner say, I'm sorry, how can I fix it? You know, but I don't want to just hear, I'm sorry. I'm like, okay, great. Like, <laughs> well, don't do it again, you know? Um, and I think I, like making restitution is the one you were talking about. I think for me, I also went, <laughs> sounds bad. I felt guilty filling out this quiz. And I think Gary Chapman's great in this because I think it's so, you know, the literature of relationships is so dense. And, you know, I've been in school for forever, it feels like. And, um, you know, when you think of just, everyday couples, I like that he's neatly packaged it into five things for each of these, because it's like, oh, it's easy to swallow and understand. So it's funny. I remember when I was filling out this quiz, mine kept being, I think my top one was the accepting responsibility. Like I want them to acknowledge that they are wrong. (laughs) Yeah. And then then I felt bad, but that was what was more fulfilling to me. Like, I don't want to hear, I'm sorry to me, words are, eh, um, you can say it. And yes, I don't want it to happen again. Um, I think the one you're talking about with uh, Josh was like the requesting forgiveness of like, will you forgive me? Like, is it okay? Like, I'll make it better type of thing. But knowing kind of these differences in your yourself and your partner is so important because you're way, not wasting energy, but you could be putting energy into something that kind of doesn't really give you the full benefit, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think, um, and listeners, if you haven't done the quiz again, I I highly recommend it, but like the examples, it's not like the example is a accept responsibility. It gives like, it goes, wow, I really dropped the ball. Um, your birthday's today. And I know how important (laughs) birthdays are to you. And so I, I know I really let you down forgetting your birthday. So like that, it's It's pretty bad. (laughs) I mean, terrible leave. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so, um, so it's like has really good examples that like really help challenge. So it's not like just obvious of like, this is what I want. It like is similar to the love language one of like, this is what I prefer. Yeah. And um, the apology one does it in, it's not just in romantic relationships. It does yes, it in other, important. which I think is key. Yeah. Which I gave to um, my mom because my, my mom and I are so similar and, but sometimes we have the most conflict um, as well because we are the most similar and we pr- I talk to her the most probably out of anyone in my family too. So the more you talk um, and the more, I think too, part of my thing is the more I'm comfortable with someone, um, the more I'm just going to like speak my mind. So like sending it to someone that you're like close with and your family too can be a really important, um, a really important way to improve that communication as well. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's important to note as well that conflict is normal. I think people think this idea of a healthy relationship means you never argue. That's not true. You, you you know, you're, you're two different people. It's, can you argue and or discuss in a heated discussion and get through it while respecting each other in that process? It's when that conflict becomes 
such so negative and escalates and all these negative patterns come about and you put down your partner and you start saying horrible things, that's when kind of couples transition from being healthy to unhealthy. Um, but conflict is so normal. Like you're not expected, the odds of, it's just so unrealistic to think a whole other human who has an entire background, very unique to themselves. It's unrealistic to think you both will be on the same page of everything moving forward. Blair, I have a question about that because I know when I was in college and a lot of other people, like just the women on my team, for example, I had a few who had relationships um, and I was like, oh my gosh, why are you in a relationship with that person? But <laughs> they would also maybe were like, oh my gosh, why are you in a relationship with that person? <laughs> and I know that like when we're in relationships and we really care about the person we're with, like it's really easy to you know, try and see the good in everything, even if, um, even if like that communication, the respected communication that you were just talking about, um, isn't there. So like you're having heated debates, but like the respect and the, um, consideration is just like not there. It gets negative and more negative. And so I was wondering for anyone who's listening, who may be on the line, of like, oh, maybe like it's normal that we're arguing, but at the end of this, I kind of feel like poop and I don't know if this is like normal. Like what are some tangible symptoms or uh, just like flags or warnings that they can look for during those communication times, like mm -hmm. those communication that they can really look at and be like, yo, maybe like I <laughs> actually need to get out of this because I'm telling you like women will not step out until like, <laughs> the partner freaking leaves. And I was one of them and I don't want it to happen to anyone who's listening. <laughs> oh, totally. I, it's a great, it's a really great point. So um, I know John Gottman has said his, we're going to quote him again. I feel like I'm like working for him. Um, I'm not though. Um, he notes, it's called like the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Mm -hmm. That's kind of his like button caveat name to it. But he has noted kind of four big communication patterns that predict relationship kind of dissolution. And the four ones are criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling, I believe is the other one. Um, but when we think of cr criticism, so it's kind of in the sense of attacking your partner's character at their core. So if you ever notice your partner saying you're selfish or like really trying to turn the tables on you, that's, that's a sign. That's a red flag. You know, that, that's not a respectful way to communicate. Um, contempt in the way of a communication behavior used as disrespect, kind of to mock or ridicule your partner in a way of like, oh, cry me a river. Like, okay, <laughs> that's not very nice. Um, defensiveness by looking for excuses to make their past behavior like quote unquote acceptable of like, well, I um, had to work late. That's why I missed your birthday dinner. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> um, and then stonewalling is kind of just simply not responding to your partner. So like giving the cold shoulder, looking at their phone, ignoring, I guess, in the social media, media world, like not responding to Snapchats or whatever, putting headphones in. That's just childish. And <laughs> it's in my mind, I'm like, oh, geez, like, Let's communicate about it because we don't need to be in this relationship. Like just because you can be in it and you can put up with stuff doesn't mean you should. Hmm. I just felt like a rush of guilt come over me a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so sorry. 
maybe you can relate, but I would not say I'm a, like con contemptuous or um, disrespectful person to be in a relationship. But I do know like in college sometimes, and maybe it was because, and I'm putting myself out there, I saw the same things in my partner that like, I just thought that like, okay, fight fire with fire type of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, it was just so unhealthy. And <laughs> I probably shouldn't be disclosing this on a podcast, but I know it's true. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do feel like, and I'm sure you would agree that like, if at any point in your life, like you have maybe responded in like a critical way, like that doesn't mean you're a bad person, right? <laughs> it just oh, gosh, means no. okay. you learn from it and, <laughs> you know, try and do better the next time. Yeah. I think it's, if you notice, it's a pattern. The thing mm -hmm. is, is that when I think it's twofold of like, okay, in the college population, hormones are like flying. Let's be real. Like we're still growing, developing. And then in the caveat of being an athlete, like you're competitive, you got probably more um, adrenaline in you than maybe the normal college student who isn't an athlete in that sense. Right. So when two people are butting heads, it's easy to be like, well, crap, <laughs> like I'm going to dig my heels in. Like I can fight tooth and nail here too. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. I think it's, it's easy to get, I always try to, I guess it, in my therapy work, I always try to, well, one, not, ju not judge them for sure, but understand the context because putting yourself in that situation, can you see yourself doing the same thing? And it's like, okay, well, if you're super stressed, they're super stressed. You have this big argument going on. You've had it, you know, a lot of negative patterns kind of go on for the last X amount of weeks. It can kind of make sense. And you're tired, you're up late studying for an exam, like putting yourself in that position of like, okay, well, maybe I shouldn't have said that thing that I said of like, right. well, you're selfish, you're horrible. Like, maybe they are being selfish. There's, we talk about it with language in the sense of like, well, you might like you are being selfish versus you are selfish because that's like at the core versus like an action. Right. But it's so much easier to do that one as a third party. And two, when you don't have all these emotions flying, mm -hmm. like when you are just seeing red <laughs> and you are pissed, excuse my language, I guess on this podcast, but it's, okay. um, <laughs> it's, it's easy to just go a hundred miles an hour. So mm -hmm. no, do I think you're a bad person? If that's something you do, all the time, then maybe it's worth looking at that behavior and kind of wondering why you keep reacting in that way. Um, mm -hmm. But no, Taylor, I do, do not think you're a bad person. <laughs> Thanks. That makes no, me feel better. <laughs> no, no, Taylor. Well, because I think the whole point is right. You're not a bad person. That was, I, I, I don't mean to roast you. It's probably just a bad relationship, right? Like yeah. there's a difference between you it then that relationship. I, I mean, I am the I'm thinking like, what do you call it? The four horsemen, like mm -hmm. in my last relationship, oh, all four horsemen were riding the whole time, like, the whole time. Like they, they, they were there. So, riding and, hard. Yes. Um, riding dirty. Riding freaking nasty. Yeah, I I can, yeah. Mm, thank you for saying that. And actually looking back, just because I feel like now I have to defend myself and just justify myself to protect my reputation. <laughs> response to lies okay so <laughs> i was heated and angry just like you said blair thank you for that there comment. we go <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think it's really whatever caused that to happen like if that is what it is 
probably is it also a good signal that that's not normal and that mm-hmm. that's not your normal reaction that that reason you got so angry is itself an unhealthy mm-hmm. reason and i think um i think what helped me a lot is because i i was in a abusive relationship where all these things were happening that i was then like at it, like every time we'd get in an argument it was like nonstop happening and it was always in this place of emotional and i was in therapy and what i really helped me that i'll share with listeners is i wait now um if i not that i want to start an argument but just kind of back to what blair said it's like not that whatever the nice way you said nagging like if something bothered me or if i want something to change or if i want to have a serious conversation whenever possible now i will write a note in my phone and depending on how urgent it is like very early on with my relationship with josh my husband um I kind of said like, hey, this is really important to me. I want to have good communication. So once a month, can we have like a dinner where we go out? I mean, or COVID, like I guess dine in. Um, (laughs) We have a dinner that I can talk to you each month about different things. Um, Like and just have a a discussion, like a no judgment zone and just talk about things. And I remember like some of the things are so silly of like, he responded to one of my texts with just an emoji, for example. And I was like, that bot like that bothered the heck out of me. But like instead of like reacting to it and like sending a text about like, hey, don't send a text back if you can't reply. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I waited to have that conversation in a m- moment that was away. Um, we ended up kind of evolving to a 24 hour rule that when something bothered me, I then waited 24 hours to bring it up. If it still bothered me, I'd bring it up. But half the time, my list wouldn't even be worth mentioning to him because it was something that bothered me in the moment. But really, I was really mad because something else bad happened to me at work that day. Mm-hmm. And I was just kind of looking to take out my aggression or frustration I had at work on someone that I knew was there for me and loved me a lot. Um, so that 24 hour rule or like once a month dinner for serious conversations. Uh, and I know that's not a, a perfect solution. It won't work in every situation, but that really like changed. Like, and so... I, I guess arguments are right, but I went from a relationship that was like nonstop yelling to mm-hmm. like, I've, I've never, you know, I've never yelled in my current, like what, four year relationship and Josh has never yelled at me. So it's like, I think a lot of times things get nor like certain arguments are normalized, but like, like you said, name calling is not normal. Yell, like yelling mm-hmm. at war is not normal. So I, that, that's what's helped me personally. Do you guys have any other tips from what, what yeah. helps you guys? I think, well, first of all, I've, I love that, that you said that you do that with Josh and Josh is a dreamboat in that sense of you guys have an amazing relationship and it's, you've, you have the foundation of like a safe and respectful relationship where you can have those honest and open communication kind of talks once a month because those aren't easy to have, but I always think of this in the sense of, you know, just kind of sex with your partner of like, a lot of people don't feel comfortable communicating what they like or don't like in bed because they're like, they don't want to hurt each other's feelings. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, but a nice relationship, don't we want that to get better? Like, let's figure out a way to be able to feel comfortable and safe communicating that. Um, So I've, I love that you and Josh do that or did do that. Um, And I think the 24 hour rule is fantastic when it comes to being reactionary or not being as reactionary. And it is funny, like I talked to you about this earlier, Emily, of I am a talk on the phone kind of girl day in and day out all the time. And I was dating this guy who all he would do is text me. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I hate texting. Like if someone asks me, I'm just, I'm a bad texter. I really am. If someone asks me, 
how was your day? I'm going to write them an epic paragraph as a response, because to me, I'm like, well, there's a lot of things that happened today. Yeah. And then, <laughs> so then they get this epic response and they're like, what the heck? And it, we didn't work out because when I communicated to him, I'm more of a talk on the phone. That's something I, I want and need in a relationship than texting, unless it's like a quick, like, good morning, babe, text, have a great day. Right. I don't really like having conversations on my phone and I'm so, so busy in the day. Like crap, I can't really like answer your question. And then I feel guilty for not answering this epic long text that maybe you said in response. Um, so as a tip, I guess that I have personally of, I do this with my clients all the time and I love it. It's the 10 and 10. <laughs> I call it my 10 and 10 list. And it's writing down 10 things you want and need in a relationship. And then also writing down 10 things that you bring to a relationship hmm. and being able to write that down is so important because I feel like at least in college, crap, I was just, it sounds bad, but I was feel like I was very aloof on the dating scene. Like I had this idea of Prince Charming and what I wanted, but I never really had specifics. So I put up with a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and I wasn't, you know, I was still trying to learn how to advocate and find my voice and communicate. Okay, well, hey, can you call me, not text me? Or, hey, I like this in bed. Or, hey, I like when you kiss my forehead. You know, like little things like that. And it's, I've obviously gotten more comfortable and confident myself throughout, you know, the years of being able to express that. But I very much encourage all the readers to kind of do that list and just see kind of, you know, for yourself, take the current relationship you're in out of it. Um, unless you're married, Emily, you're stuck with that one. Um, <laughs> um, but think like, okay, what do I really want and need in a relationship? Because when we're 80 years old and we're all ugly and broken hips and old and like, I, to me, I'm like, well, I want someone I can communicate and connect with like on a rocking chair. And, you know, there are certain things I really want. And it's like, okay, well, if the current relationship I'm in only needs two of the 10 items, maybe that's not the relationship for me. I love that. Um, and I also wanted to ask you about um, something called attachment theory. Um, I'm not sure if this is something that you dive deep into. Well, you're counseling, so I am assuming here that maybe you um, have, but I know that like how you grow up as a child um, and sort of the relationships that you see within your family and your household can really play a huge role in the way that you treat your, your partner or react to your mm -hmm. partner um, and can also really uh, impact communication. And this is something that I never really took time to explore until after I was in a relationship and looking back and being like, why was I like that? Why was I like all, like I was anxious, like <laughs> that mm -hmm. Um, but he was distant, right? So it was this push, push and pull. So can you just go into a little bit about like attachment theory? Because I think it it's so, so important, like for this conversation that we're having now to understand the basis foundations of what it is. Oh, totally. I think it's attachment theory is so complex, but it's fascinating. Yeah. So if you think about, and Emily, you can chime in with this with baby Juliet, the minute you're born, the first a baby, boy, girl, is attaches to their mom by breastfeeding. If that's what you choose, that's their first kind of physical contact. So like attachment in attachment theory, that's the basis of it. It starts like minutes after you're born when you do skin to skin with your mom. And from there you learn 
before you can even talk kind of how to self-soothe. And a lot of that just comes with your parents of there's four different types. If I'm remembering correctly, there's the secure type, anxious, avoidant, and like fearful, I believe is the other one. They have different names and different labels depending on the literature, but four big ones. And all of that kind of depends on the stability you had growing up. So secure is like giving you this someone, a parent or parents in a two parent household, giving you, you know, support, but also like individual kind of identity and giving you the space, but allowing you to grow, but also there for you. Anxious in a different way of um, is kind of lacking that nurturing sense of like the parent or parents weren't consistently there. So it created kind of like, a, oh, when's mom coming back? I don't know the intermittent reinforcement aspect. Which, which is very difficult for a child and moving forward um, as an adult too. And then the avoidant is kind of keeping everything at an arm's length. So mom and dad kind of just left you free for all and you, you could do what you want in a way. And then fearful kind of being super dependent on others. So these are very similar to like helicopter parents is what you hear. Mm. Um, and you might have to fa fact check me on those four um, and my connections. But the big thing with attachment theory is, it is how it kind of plays out in your relationships moving forward. Mm -hmm. So if you learn this, it's how you attach to another person. Mm -hmm. And if you grew up in an anxious attachment style, you will likely be anxious in your romantic relationships. So it's, there's a ton of books on this. There's an amazing one called insecure in relationships. I think, um, I think the big thing to note, or the, another big thing I keep saying that is they can change your attachment style isn't fixed. Ideally, all of us want to be in the secure, healthy attachment style. The majority of people think they are. It cracks me up. Um, <laughs> but I think I think only I forget the percentage, but I think like only 15 to 20 percent of actually of people are actually securely attached, whereas okay. everyone else is either anxious, avoidant or fearful. Mm. So you can change by working on yourself, which takes a lot of time and you know self-reflection and self-awareness. And that's difficult and can you know, bring up a lot of emotions, but it can make amazing change. And paired with, if you find a secure partner, mm -hmm. you, you can learn in the relationship kind of in the moment, how to properly, not properly, but how to react healthily, if that makes sense. Um, and it, yeah, attachment styles, you can get all kind of confused. If you've been in an abusive relationship, that kind of messes a lot with them as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but they can change. So I think that's the hopeful piece. A lot of people are like, well, I'm the avoidant type. Like, oh gosh, it's never ending. And I'm like, or there's no solution. I'm like, no, like, it's just a matter of if you're willing to look at the mirror and see what your pardon is it and what you can kind of do and get out of your comfort zone to grow and improve. Yeah, that's so I am was obsessed with attachment theory for a while. And I will say like going to therapy too really helped me understand that a lot. Um, like, for example, like I grew up like fearful and anxious. And I also read somewhere that people with insecure attachments are more likely to gravitate towards people with insecure attachments. I'm not sure if that's totally like evidence based or like factual, but um, maybe Blair, you can. Yeah, it's that's a fantastic um, Taylor. So it's actually insecure or like anxious individuals, anxiously attached, tend to <laughs> gravitate towards avoidantly attached yeah, because they perfect. constantly are like, no, let's like, I'm going to make it work. I'm going to make it work. And like anxiously 
attached individuals tend to pour in every ounce of effort, energy they possibly have into a relationship. Whereas avoidant, they might say, they might withhold, I love you from you. They might keep everything pushed away and kind of guarded. So the anxiously attached person is like, well, I can break down those walls. Let, let me keep giving to you. Let me keep giving to you. And the avoidant person is just going to keep those walls up. Mm. <laughs> but they like, they like the, it sounds bad, but they like the attention. They like the, you know, someone wanting to take care of them, yet they don't need it. Right. And they're good. They're good on their own. Um, mm. But it's a bad, it's, it's not bad, but it's a unhealthy combination. And it tends to be the most, that tends to be the most common one. Mm. That's interesting. Okay. So we have touched on, you know, the, I don't want to say the basics because I feel like we went pretty deep in some of these topics. Uh, But for our listeners, Blair, if you could think of some like takeaways, whether they're in a relationship or even single or like, okay, this is how I can improve and just be generally, you know, improve my relationships, whether Mm -hmm. it's romantic or personal, what are some takeaways that our listeners can have? Yeah, no, I think it's great. I, I would do the 10 and 10. I'm biased to that because I love that. Um, mm-hmm. So the 10, writing down a list of 10 things that you want need in a relationship and 10 things that you bring to a relationship. Just Blair, I, I, Can, can oh. you give us an example of like three of yours on both of that list? Ooh, okay. Wait, um, <laughs> right, I actually have it um, on my phone. I, was because, say, I know you do because you, you pulled it up for me on the phone. I before. have. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Um, I should know this. So 10 things I've had. I can't believe I'm sharing this. This is wild. Um, yeah, pick, just, pick, just pick two. Okay. I'll, I'll do three. It's fine. Yeah, um, do it. Thank you. <laughs> um, honest communication. Well, I can read you my whole list. So yeah. Ooh, <laughs> listen, um, up, listen up. Oh, goodness. Uh, oh, goodness. <laughs> um, I'm going to read you kind of the broad. Like I have worked really hard with my therapist and myself of like, exploring each one of these because these are kind of broad terms but honest communication loyalty faithfulness energy effort affection thoughtfulness confidence in the relationship respect and value as an equal individual friendship and commitment so those are things that i want need in a relationship i've noticed energy i've talked to emily about this before so I have a lot of energy. It's something I really bring to a relationship along with my gift giving. That's a, a big love language of mine. I've learned many people don't like gifts, but I love giving <laughs> gifts. Um, but that's something I've learned in my own relationships. But energy is really important. I've been with people who are super high energy and um, maybe it's been a bit too much and kind of both of us want the limelight, so to speak. So I noticed us kind of both fighting for the limelight. And then I would end up yielding to them, which just wasn't me in a way. I don't mean to say that in a selfish way. Um, But then I've also been with someone where I had the limelight the whole time. And I was like, okay, but I don't really want, like, I don't want the mic forever. (laughs) Um, I remember asking him, we would have daily phone calls at the end of each day of like, how was your day? And I, and he would just be like, it's fine. And I'm like, okay, well, (laughs) what do I work with there? <laughs> like, I'm like, okay, well, what was fine about it? You know? And whereas me, like Emily and I will talk on the phone for freaking hours on end. I know she's joked that she's talked on the phone with me more than she's talked on the phone with Josh, her own husband. <laughs> uh, a, a amazing silver lining of COVID has been family zoom calls that I do weekly or bi-weekly with my family. And I'm one of six kids. So we're all, you know, <laughs> fighting for the mic. 
um, but they will end up going three, four hours. So, <laughs> and some of uh, the guy I was dating, he was, his family did a few zoom calls and they were like clean 45 and, <laughs> and my family will talk and we'll go 50 different directions in our conversation. And that's like a huge energy thing for me. Like I just, I love that connection with people and it's something I grew up with. It's some, something I really enjoy and I really need in a relationship. Like I don't, with the one with him, it just seemed like everything was like business oriented. And I'm like, sweet, nice business meeting. Let me shake your hand afterwards. Like, and I was like, ugh, that's just not what I want. So it's the 10 and 10 list I find so valuable because I never really thought about that until I wrote it down. And paired with that, it was like not pushing in relationships. I think I've wanted you know, for a long, long time, a really good committed relationship. My parents have been married for almost 45 years. And, you know, they're kind of the gold standard to me when it comes to the ideal relationship. And I feel like that's rare nowadays. So I'm like, oh, where's the guy I'm going to be married to for 50 years? Where are you? And I think I would push a lot in relationships and I wouldn't really give them the opportunity to come to the plate. And instead I would kind of, that's how I would get the rose colored glasses and think everything was better than it was. Like I would make plans for a date. I'd pick the restaurant. I'd make the, you know, the reservations. I'd be like, let's do it this Friday. And he would drive me, drive us to the date. And then I'd be like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for date night. But it's like, well, shit, I did 90% of it. (laughs) Or like I put 90% of it together, you know? Yeah, that's a truth. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So (laughs) um, not ideal, but you know. You live and you learn. Um, So I would say the 10 and 10 is a really, really good tip for people. I would do the love language and the apology quiz if you haven't. Um, It's really simple and just kind of a good opportunity to know where you stand and what you're interested in. And it gives you a good, I I like it in the sense I'd use this with my clients. I'm like, okay, well, you can just say that I told you to take it. And that can be your starting point for a conversation. Because I think a lot of people are nervous to bring this up to their partner. And the Love languages kind of gives you a, hey, I did this here. You want to read it? Maybe we could go over it instead of, hey, I would like to talk about our sex life right now. You know, (laughs) like it's a very different approach. Um, So I like it kind of gives it a little bit of a softer delivery. And then finally, I would do there's a lot of research on this of it's called the five to one kind of positive to negative ratio when it comes to gratitude and appreciating your partner. So they say for every negative you say to your partner, there should be five positives. Um, I've never really counted that, (laughs) Um, but it's something to be mindful of, of just how you communicate with your partner, nonverbal and verbally. And I would just try not, I would try to be kind to yourself and not beat yourself up. Are you going to solve this problem in one day? No, but it's, it's a process. And if both people like how you and Emily and Josh are, willing to go to the table, come to the table once a month to discuss things that they want to work on. That's fabulous. So finding like a partner who's willing to grow with you um, over time is really important. I, that is so good. I mean, I, I was going to ask Taylor if she had any, but I'm not sure, not in a rude way. Blair's was so well thought out. Um, so Sorry, Taylor. Taylor. No pressure. <laughs> I, no uh, I already gave my little 24 hour rule takeaway. Do you have any tips for um, for how obviously you're in a, a, an extremely healthy and great relationship. Now, do you have any tips on what you found successful for you? Me? Um, yeah. I mean, everything that Blair said, I think is great. I remember writing down like all of the things I didn't do a 10 and 10, but I did do the, like, what do I want type of thing? Um, so it was basically just through like 
the lens of like what I needed, which might be a little bit selfish, but it was still helpful and, um, you know, helping me not to settle for anything that wasn't going to be good for me. And then again, I think just like exploring attachment theory, like we were talking about and going to therapy and just trying to understand myself better really um, helped me. And now my partner is my current partner who we just had our two year anniversary, like Monday, actually. So um, he congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, he's definitely secure, like through and through, which is great. I still can be fearful and anxious, but like because I know that, I'm able to some most of the time, not all of the times, but most of the time, um, take a step back and kind of like uh, look at different situations where I could get super anxious and like be questioning, like, what about this? What about that? What about that? I'm like, oh, wait a second. Like, you tend to like you know, have this like anxious, fearful attachment. And maybe you should like really step back and think of like, is this necessary (laughs) or like, (laughs) so understanding that um, has helped a lot for me. I think that self-awareness, Taylor, is like, and like, I guess that goes along with the emotional intelligence component is like so important. And then just being able to express that, because I promise you, if you're in a relationship and you tell them early on, like, hey, I have these anxious, fearful tendencies, it's so much easier than to be like, you are probably going to have to reassure me more. Like, and even sometimes too, I know like with Josh, I will say to him like early on in our relationship before, like, I know this is not a rational fear of mine. Like, I know this is not rational, but I have anxiety over this. I just need you to like, I just need to hear you say this space. And he would just like, yes, that, you know, that that is exactly what happened. (laughs) And like, it's important to know. And then it made me feel better. And then like, when you are in the right relationship, those anxieties can be communicated. And the fact that you're self-aware, I think is, you know, really, really important. Totally. It helps that he's, um, you know, also willing to step up to the table and like, you know, be accepting, like totally accepting, not trying to change anything, just like, hey, I want to be with you. We're going to make it work. He likes you. He likes you for you. Exactly. Yeah. Just kind of like yeah. what you said, Blair, like we're both making the reservations, you know, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, equal efforts on both of our parts. Yeah. I think you've mentioned something that I thought was really good, Taylor, of, you know, being, I'm obviously a big proponent for therapy and I think it's fabulous for many, many people. It is one option, but I think it can really, and there are many other options as well, but it's one that can really help increase your awareness of kind of what, you know, taking care of your side of the street. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, well, what can I manage? Because you can't take care of your other person's side of the street. You can't fix them, yet everyone wants to. Mm-hmm. Um, or they have a tendency to point out, we have an amazing tendency to know everyone else's flaws. Right. <laughs> um, but very little kind of awareness on our own. So it's like, okay, well, what can I control? What can I manage on my side of the street? And I think this is really important kind of just for all female listeners of, for me, I feel like I never really realized how much control I actually had in a relationship. And I think this speaks to kind of just women empowerment of being able to use your voice and like, you don't have to be in the relationship if you don't want to be. I think Mm -hmm. I was so in love with the idea of the idea of a relationship that I put up with a lot of stuff. But it's like, now I'm like, well, like I go on dates with people now and I'm like, okay, well, 
nah, I'm good. <laughs> like yeah. not interested in this. Whereas it's kind of made me feel a little bit more powerful of like, oh, wow, I can actually like take the dating scene by the reins and like have a say in it. Um, that was just kind of my experience. I felt like it took me a little bit longer maybe than the average person to find my voice and find my, you know, place and take up space in the relationship. No, and actually, I know this podcast has been going on for an hour and Emily, don't shoot me because she mentioned <laughs> something really important and I don't think it would be fair to our listeners not to talk about this because they are athletes and where, um, wait, Emily, do I have your blessing? Can I move forward? <laughs> I'm, I'm obsessed. I'm not editing anything. This is going to be a long episode if you're still here because you're enjoying this. They all, they all checked out like 20 minutes ago. <laughs> everyone's in relationships but Blair you said you said a few things like number one it took you longer than like the normal person whatever but like also let's not forget that we were athletes and you talked about the women's empowerment thing so I'm going to tie this together really quick because I know like for me maybe for Emily Blair I don't know you for like a lot of my teammates and athletes I know who were dating other athletes and I'm going to talk about um, opposite sex here. I'm talking about men and women relationships in particular, because the male athletes were just put on such like this huge pedal stool. It mm -hmm. became so hard for the women who were in relationships or pursuing relationships with them, for them to look at what that like, who, who that person was like underneath the athletic identity and be like, yo, actually we're not compatible. And I know for a fact that like I held on to a relationship longer than I wanted to. And I hate to admit it to myself, but like, would it have been as easy for me to walk away if like, okay, sure. I loved him, but also he was like a super great athlete on campus. Like, you know, I felt like important and like special and like, you know, he loves me, you know, and like, that's, that sounds like so, silly and like girlish but also like it's true it happens all the time and I just don't think we can leave this conversation without touching on that yeah I don't think it's I don't think it's silly at all I think it you know it, it filled a need for you in a lot of ways and it was kind of like a fun desire to put you on a pedestal as well to some extent um I think it's important to note like Carolina the ratio was nearly 60 40 girls when I was there Mm -hmm. So that created just such a weird dynamic, I felt like, because not only were these male athletes on a pedestal in and of itself at Carolina, because it's just such a, you know, powerhouse when it comes to sports, but also these, they had, or like these athletes and just the men in general at Carolina had like six girls waiting in the wings. So like <laughs> if something, like if something didn't work out or, you know, there was a bump in the road, they'd be like, okay, peace on to the next one. And I think that's created a lot of one, I think commitment issues on the male side with the, like online dating and just like easy access to everything and everyone. But then two, I think it, for me, at least it kind of messed with my self-esteem and questioned yeah, me. And if I if I really enjoyed that limelight, I would put up with a lot because I liked the limelight. Mm -hmm. But yep. it's like, should I have really like, really, I should have none of the relationships worked out. But it's like, well, maybe I shouldn't have put up with it for as long as I did. But it was like, oh, well, I don't want to really like give it to another girl because there's like eight waiting behind me, you know, oh. um, okay, so if that makes sense. Totally. And I understand when you said like, 
the energy part of you, like your high energy, which I feel like a lot of athletes are like, you know, we have, we're strong, we have like positive attitudes, we have this aura, this energy like coming off of us. A lot of this, we're competitive, like we like sometimes being the center of attention, whether you want to admit it yourself <laughs> or not. Totally. And, I do. I love being the center. Yeah. And when it's in, <laughs> yeah, we have a freaking podcast. Okay. I think we all like, <laughs> we like hearing ourselves talk. We <laughs> like to hear ourselves talk. Exactly. But then when you're in a relationship with another athlete and maybe it's a male athlete who has an even bigger spotlight than you, because of course, like we know that there are some huge gender, uh, gender inequalities in sport you know that can be tough like being like Mm -hmm. damn like he's getting all the attention but like what about me so Mm -hmm. yeah I don't know if anyone wants to talk about that or touch on that or relate (laughs) I think that that limelight can be in a weird way addicting yeah it was fun it was kind of thrilling in a lot of ways because like okay yes I was on the crew team but like crew is very different than being a male basketball player at Carolina like let's be real here Uh, just a little bit you know it's a close second it's a very (laughs) it's a very close second but it was like ooh, you know we all like and it's not a selfish thing we all like feeling important Mm -hmm. you know it's it gives us a sense of control it gives us a sense of power I don't know I try to be kind in myself with myself now of maybe sticking in those relationships longer than I should have because I'm like ah it was pretty fun while it lasted, though. <laughs> um, sounds bad, but I was like, yeah, was it ideal? I learned a lot, maybe, but um, or not. Yes, I definitely learned a lot, but I did it. There were a lot of positives to it, too. Um, and I don't think that's selfish. At least I'm being, I don't know, I'm being honest. Yeah. Think about, like, college, like, it's so new for everyone. All we want to do is fit in. Mm-hmm. So then yes. it's like, well, it's shit, we're not only true. fitting in. I'm sorry. I probably shouldn't be swearing on this podcast. Um, swear. It's okay. We're, fit- <laughs> we're fitting in with like the cool crowd. So it's like, okay, sweet. <laughs> right. um, I'm like, yeah, I'm one of the cool kids. Like, did Which I really never belong there? Probably not. <laughs> I know. I was, yes, I know. I was never college. the like popular person. I was never homecoming queen or any of that in high school. So then I was like, huh, okay, well, I'm okay with this. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so she was never homecoming queen, but listeners, Blair is single and she was Miss Sedona. So she <laughs> is single. Uh, she has no social media, so we cannot tag her. There will be no sliding in the DMs. But uh, <laughs> but and, I love phone calls. <laughs> I just love phone calls. I was going to say, if you uh, slide into Virago Project's DMs, maybe we'll, uh, we'll uh, match make. Oh my gosh. Oh, you could be my millionaire matchmaker, Emily. Yeah. Um, Um, I'm too nervous for that, but we'll see. (laughs) I thought that was, yeah. Thank And thank you guys for like responding to those uh, strange questions and epiphanies about athletes and dating too, because I know that a lot of our listeners are like either in those relationships or thinking about entering those relationships or um, have. So but you know what? I will say that I have seen a few examples of like happily, um, you know, coupled athletes together. Actually, a lot. So um, yeah, you can make it work for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, dating an athlete, like obviously for all those reasons we said early on, is definitely the thing. I think the main thing is like I I know personally like I had a problem. I'm a big yes person, so I would just say yes to any dates. And like if someone wanted to date me, like I like I would 
I would go on the date with them, even if I wasn't necessarily interested or like our general matches. Um, Emily got a lot of dates in college. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I, I got my good share of beeskies. Let me tell you. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, like so I. I, I just would say yes, because I was like, well, you don't know. And then so then if someone wanted to date me, I was like, okay, I'll be your girlfriend. No different than like, really, when someone proposed to me the first time and I said yes. I mean, I was doing it because, I mean, I thought I was in love, but like I was just so happy that someone picked me. So really, right. like, make sure you're not dating someone for acceptance and validation mm-hmm. because that person, like, just because mm-hmm. someone loves you doesn't mean that means you should be with them if that makes sense. And that was my big thing I had had to finally wrap my head around is just because someone chose me like, and like wanted to be my friend and wanted to be my boyfriend or even wanted to be my husband doesn't necessarily mean like, yes, but that's not a athlete culture. That's like a tendency that athletes may have. Mm-hmm. Right. And also, I- yeah. Also like, I know Emily and I'm just kind of going off of what you just said to like, I remember my first relationship, like I entered, I thought it was healthy and then it progressed to something that wasn't. So also like, don't be afraid to Uh, cut it. If it's looking, if the, if the clouds are coming and (laughs) the sea is a storming, like. (laughs) I think that's why it's, it's important to find your voice and it's important to know and respect yourself in the relationship just because they're like cream of the crop, top athlete on campus like if they don't respect you, it's not, is it worth it? Like I'd, I'd ask yourself, is it worth it to you? Because some, sometimes it is, sometimes it is. And sometimes it isn't each, each thing's different for me. It wasn't really worth it, but it was fun while it lasted. Um, but I think it's so important to try to, you know, step out of your comfort zone and be able to find your voice as a female and respect yourself in that process. I think that's so important. And it's easy to kind of put that on the back burner, especially, if you're a giver and if you want a relationship and you care so much for people and you try to give them the benefit of the doubt, it's really easy to become a pushover in that sense. And that's not a bad thing. It's, you know, just something to be aware of and potentially learn from. Well, and, and also I think that brings up a really good point of just because things are really good the first few months or even like the first year doesn't mean that that's like, how reality is like think about if you go to a job interview you're putting your best foot forward and then even your first few months at the job maybe you come 30 minutes early every day to work and you are the all-star employee but then eventually like when you're putting in this I mean I'm not saying coming 30 minutes early every single day is unattainable (laughs) but let's just say there's other things too that are just staying late every single day after work you know going above and beyond print volunteering for these things heading things and that might not be attainable or like the quote unquote real you as an employee. So eventually you just come five minutes early and then maybe you don't want to pick up the extra shifts and you're not staying late for fun. And you don't actually want to go to a lunch meeting with all your colleagues. Um, like the kind of quote unquote real you employee, the sustainable employee comes and it's the same in relationships, right? So don't keep reliving those first few happy, perfect months. Like take the reality of what it is now. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't think, just say things will go back to how they were because they probably won't. Yeah, I think that's super important. I think everyone shows their true colors in time. Mm-hmm. Some people show it real quick <laughs> um, or really quickly and some might take months. And I think that's where I got in trouble personally was I would push in the relationship. So like it was consistent on my end because I was consistent. 
but I never really gave them the opportunity to come to the plate or not come to the plate. So it's important to kind of take a step back and see if that person is going to be as consistent and lovely and amazing as they were on date one, as they are on date 50. Everyone can put on a good face on date one. And if they can't do that, then it's a red flag from day one in my mind. Well, like everyone could put on a good, you know, a good front, but I, would, mm-hmm. yeah, I would be aware of how things change. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't rely on like, Ooh, we have so much history. Mm, cut it. <laughs> or be in love with what you were or what you can be. That was my problem. Yeah. Um, I was in love with the past or in love with the future, but I never really sat and looked at the reality of the situation. And it's usually the reality is usually the easier, softer way, but we all push it away at all costs or try to change it in any way. Right. Um, but it's important to know because it, sa- it saves you in the long run. Trust me, I've had enough heartbreak to help hope benefit or like help a viewer not have as much heartbreak. So I hope this wisdom makes, you know, can someone can relate to it or benefit from it. This was such a good conversation. I know. They, they, I'm laughing. I, cause I was like, I told Blair before I like prepped with her. Like I have like two questions written. Like normally we have like five questions or so. I only have two because I was like, I know how my conversations go with Blair. That we, like, and then here we are uh, over an hour later. So thank you, Blair. I know this, like, I mean, we talked about so much stuff. So thank you so much for taking the time today um, to talk with us. I think we brought up so many good points. And thank you, Taylor, too. I know um, we like roasting ourselves. Not at all. uh, But we have unique experiences as well. So thanks for um, thanks for sharing that with with everyone as also. Thank you. Thank you both for having me. I really appreciate this and the opportunity to be able to be a part of it. You guys are fabulous or you ladies are fabulous. Excuse me. Um, but thank you both. I hope, um, I hope it helps some of your viewers. Thank you, Blair. We will, even though you don't have an Instagram, Blair, we will post, um, a little follow-up questions. Um, sometimes our listeners have some follow-up questions they ask us. Uh, so I'll be texting you after the release to get a video made. Uh, so follow us on Instagram at Virago pod. If you haven't, uh, for more on Blair. 